This is a message from the Art Intelligence Agency. Welcome to AI Agents, a program that explores the intersections of innovation and artificial intelligence. This podcast is brought to you by a collaboration between the Australian Institute for Machine Learning and the C.F. Fowler Institute at the University of Adelaide. Join our host, Tim Whiffen, in conversation with creatives, academics, and professionals in exploring how human and artificial intelligence can collaborate in divergent ideas for our future. One of the UK's leading scientists joins the Art Intelligence Agency to discuss perhaps the most gruelling part of artificial intelligence, mathematics. While we owe much of our understanding of the world around us to mathematicians across time, many people still consider math boring, hard, and perhaps irrelevant with the use of calculators and professionals such as accountants to do things for you. But when we consider the outcomes of intense mathematics and AI, the outcomes of mathematical language can be much more substantial than accountants may make it seem. Marcus de Sotoy, a mathematician from Oxford University, has theorised on the formula for creativity, the equations that make an AI system spit out a truly creative artwork. Though Marcus has many incredible books, he joins us to reveal some insights from his latest book, The Creativity Code, as well as answer some broader questions about art and creativity. I am joined today at the Art Intelligence Agency by Agent Marcus de Sotoy. Thank you for speaking with me today. Yeah, it's great to be on with you. Well, firstly, Marcus, I'd love to ask for you to give us a brief explanation of your research interests. Yes, I'm a mathematician, but I've always been interested in kind of the process of how one makes mathematics. So, you know, where do those ideas come from? Uh, I think when I'm stuck, I'm especially interested in that. So um, I've been interested in the last few years in ideas about creativity, because I believe that mathematics is a highly creative subject, um, uh, but also the role that perhaps a computer uh, emerging artificial intelligence, machine learning might play as a collaborator or a competitor um, in, in trying to come up with, with new ideas, both mathematical and, and beyond. Well, that was extremely concise. <laughs> I appreciate it. <laughs> you know, because it, it, it reminds me a little of something like Pythagoras, which is somewhere between, you know, some kind of philosophy and mathematics where you can use the practice of philosophy to have more or less a um, real world outlook or real world kind of outcome. Mm. Yeah. So it's very interesting you say that because, I mean, I think, you know, mathematics always has its origins in a way in trying to understand the physical world around us. But what's quite exciting is it soon sort of takes off on, on a journey of its own and a journey very much of uh, the imagination um, of making worlds that may not physically be possible, but are kind of logically possible. Um, so I've written this new book called The Creativity Code, which is an exploration of artificial intelligence um, in the role of creativity, a lot of it's dedicated to the the arts, like music or visual arts or writing. But but a major strand in it is looking at at mathematics. And and I think you see, I think many people think that surely a computer, well, mathematics must be easy for it to do because you know isn't um, a computer just code and isn't code algorithms and algorithms are just 
basically mathematics. Um, but what I try to say in the book and when I talk to people about what it is I do, I think they think that I'm trying to come up with all the true statements about numbers and geometry. And actually, that's not what I'm doing. What I'm doing is making choices about sort of mathematical, logical journeys that I think are interesting, that I think will interest a, a seminar that I'm giving or a, a journal that I'm writing for. So I often call a mathematician a bit like a, a storyteller. And my characters are numbers and geometry. And therefore, you see, I think Pythagoras is interesting because, you know, that's the beginning of a journey of, um, yeah, we certainly want this language to kind of describe the world around us. He was one of the great believers in, you know, the universe is mathematical and, you know, the language is to understand it is mathematics. But already there, you can start to see stories being told that probably don't have any practical application, but it just absolutely fascinating explorations of uh, kind of the properties of numbers and geometry. So, so I think there's a, that's where the creative and imaginative side comes from. And um, I mean, people often compare maths and music. And of course, you know, there you go straight back to Pythagoras because he's the one who said, you know, harmony is all about the relationship of number. But I think, I think there's actually a close connection between mathematics and a novelist uh, in that we're telling stories and, and we want to tell a story that's going to move our audiences, is going to kind of give them value beyond the, the storytelling, somehow change the way they look at the world. And actually, that's how I start this book with the definition of creativity, because, you know, how do you decide, define creativity? It's a very kind of slippery word. And actually, I use a cognitive scientist that I know called Margaret Bowden. She has a nice definition, which is something's creative is if it's new, if it's surprising, so it engages your emotions and ultimately ha has some sort of value. So I, I think that's quite a good sort of benchmark for uh, is something creative or not. It's, it creates an interesting tension. I want to I want to delve into that because you know we could say that with I guess less boundaries that AI it could probably possibly be more creative than us if if you were to use the the term creative a little bit more loosely but it's it's interesting when we give it the constraint of we actually have to communicate with that we have to interpret it and and, and so our understanding of an AI being creative actually has to make sense in, in some way so you know does that mean that you know AI's creativity is is merely derivative of uh, human creativity would we say was very very interesting so uh, i think you've touched on on a lovely tension here which is first of all um you know the ai that we're developing via machine learning has to take data to learn from um and therefore this will be important because if we want the creativity actually to resonate for us as humans we better give it our own human creativity to, to learn from uh, and so that's what we do we give it the things that we find emotionally engaging we give it the things that we value show it the things that we don't value so it begins to get some sort of uh distinction between the two so then the challenge is okay, but are we just going to produce something, as you say, which is derivative and feels like pastiche and is just a copy of what we've seen before? Here's the challenge. How can AI sort of go beyond and, and do what, you know, humans do when they're creative, which is to, uh, to really break the mold? I mean, isn't AI somehow stuck inside um, a system and therefore how can it break out of it? And I think the really exciting thing is 
that that doesn't seem to be the case. Firstly, there seems to be a huge amount of uh, kind of territory which we as humans haven't explored within our kind of data set. And that's the exciting thing. There's offerings being made by artificial intelligence based on our data, which you could say is derived from our creativity, but is still of value and is surprising to us. And actually, you know, part of the book that I wrote is, is about actually what, what is human creativity and how do we do it? How do we stop being just derivative and make something new? And I, and I think we have to recognize that we all do what AI is doing. We take the data of the past and we we perhaps break something in it or we merge some ideas. Um, so I think trying to understand how to make an AI creative is going to help us as humans to understand our own creativity. And of course, that was always what Turing's great project was. AI was basically trying to understand human intelligence. Um, if you can make it artificially, then you've made some understanding. That is a fascinating way of going about understanding the human endeavor to kind of engineer it in the first place rather than reverse engineer it, I think probably makes a lot more sense to people. But, but, but you know what, I think uh, in a way, I think Turing's project is not the direction we want to take now. I mean, actually we know how to make human intelligence, you know, we have children and grow them up. <laughs> uh, what we want, I mean, sometimes I like to translate AI, not as artificial intelligence, but an augmented or an alternative intelligence that actually we want to make something different to mm. our own intelligence. And, and, and that's the exciting thing. And so um, I think that, you know, this is why one of my big messages is, Although Hollywood paints artificial intelligence as, you know, a competitor is going to wipe us out, Terminator style. Um, I think we need to change that narrative and really see um, AI as a fantastic collaborator because it can do things differently to the way we do things. And in combination, um, we can go together further than each of us individually. And I think one of the really differences is so for example you know how how many books can i read in a lifetime well, i calculated i think a maximum about five thousand or something um but ai can read the whole of world literature in uh you know afternoon and then it would be able to tap into things in my writing that i would never have contemplated and I think, you know, there's a great example of this already, one of the text generation algorithms, AI, uh, called GPT-3, developed by OpenAI. This is a uh, being trained on a huge data set of literature and is very interesting to interact with. Although, you know, it, it's sometimes uh, rather strange, the things it comes up with. I think the point is, yeah, okay, it may not always make sense, but if it's stimulating you and your own creativity, then this is a wonderful new tool. And I think across all the arts, that's what I've been seeing happening is that an artist that might've got quite stuck in old ways of behaving, weirdly uh, behaving more like a machine than uh, a creative human, by using AI creativity in their work, they've sort of opened themselves up again to new possibilities. So so I think this is really exciting and, and any creative I think it's worth them exploring the the way that they can use this new technology in, in just expanding their horizons. Well, I mean, it must be 
uh, a revelationary for I, I, math teachers in high schools across the world uh, to to hear those words and then to be able to explain to 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 other people that maths and and, and coding and that you know, using these kinds of analytical languages is actually inherently creative. Even though we might have already made that comparison with music, it is an extremely different world now. Um, and you know, you can uh, I think as you uh, have raised, uh, you can be something like a data curator um which was a, yes. a fascinating idea fascinating um future job which you know, we should be <laughs> advertising to math teachers i imagine <laughs> yes well i i think that's right you know i mean there is a great fear about the impact that all of this new technology is going to have on, on the workplace and certainly there are jobs you know for example in mathematics a lot of maths graduates go on to become accountants i don't think that's going to be a job um in the years to come because the the kind of skill set that you need of being able to play with data and see the errors that, that's already something that ai is very good at doing but i think there'll be new jobs uh, emerging and i think you know one of the things going forward is that we need to make sure that we have a very uh digitally literate um society and i think that's going to be one of the roles for maths teachers, actually, that um, uh, to have that understanding of what an algorithm is, you know, how is it manipulating me? How can I make it work for me, not it uh, making me do things? Um, and I think that ability then, you know, you, you raise that idea of the data curator. I mean, I think this is a, a job that I can see is emerging that algorithms, because machine learning uh, uh, if you give it different data, the algorithm will learn and go in a different direction, just as with a, a child that you're um, raising, if you expose it to different things, it will become a different adult. So, so I think there, there's a, a, a real interesting job going forward that the person who um, will be deciding, well, okay, I, I, I'm quite interested in creating an algorithm which is exploring this kind of direction. How can I influence that by the data that I give it? And and if I change that data, does it do something significantly different? Um, so, so yeah, I think it's uh, very exciting. And I, and I do think, you know, maths is at the basis of all of this because, you know, all of these algorithms are basically bits of mathematics. So, so I think this is why we need to sort of introduce this kind of part of mathematics into the curriculum to, to, and I think it'll be exciting for people who may initially not really sort of get why we should be doing sines and cosines, quadratic equations. But if suddenly they say, oh, this, this is the language hiding behind the algorithms that are recommending the, 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 the songs that I listen to, the books I'm going to read, the, the, the routes I'm going to take to, to see my mate this evening, um, then I think it becomes super relevant to our, our modern age. It, well, it, it makes that comparison of a novelist mu that much sweeter, really. You know, grammar is certainly isn't the learning that you take when you think about being a, a poet or whatever it may be. You know, having a, a, a thorough understanding of grammar doesn't sound very exciting, but to use this language of code and, and of mathematics to construct what is eventually like quite a beautiful po poem um, is, is a fantastic yes. analogy. Hmm. Yeah, I, I think so. And I think, you know, that's the great tragedy of maths education is that, uh, you know, in music, you can play somebody a great symphony or a really innovative band and, and people get it. Then they want to understand the, the, the grammar. How do I do something like that myself? Um, and that's the motivation for spending your time on doing scales and arpeggios and stuff. And I think we've got it the, in the wrong order in maths. We don't 
sort of show them the big ideas of infinity or prime numbers or topology. We give them all the just, you know, the, the scales and arpeggios, the grammar and the spelling, and, and don't tell them the stories or play them the symphonies. And, and, and that's, uh, that's such a shame. I, we're not brave enough in maths education. You know, my kids read Shakespeare in English. They don't get it all, but that's fine. Um, we need to kind of like tap into the Shakespeare of maths, basically. Uh, that's such a such a, a fantastic idea. Uh, can I can I ask what other kinds of um, creative jobs perhaps even exist or will exist in this space? If if that's something you you could um, project, yeah, I, I I think in the film industry, the uh, the way that you could use um, an AI to to perhaps explore um the way that you're going to film something before you actually go out and do it because it's very expensive to take so you know in a way that we the same way that we do with engineering for a bridge we don't build many bridges and see one or you know we'll print build one bridge it falls down we we do a lot of simulation um so i think that's uh going to be an interesting role for um you know industries that perhaps haven't thought about um well let's try this out and see what it looks like before we actually go and do it um so but i think it's you know there there's an interesting thing which is happening actually because um you know for example the, the most uh, i think the place where ai has been most successful in the arts is in the visual realm uh, and this is partly I think because there's been a lot of visual data that it can learn from. And so, you know, we've got fantastic AI, which does, uh, you know, vision recognition already. You give it a photograph, it will say, oh, that's a guitar, that's a Christmas tree. But it seems to be very good at also creating its own visuals. But what I'm beginning to see emerge is a very uh, specific style that um, AI, the AI artist has. And it seems to be quite sort of common across different algorithms that it has this sort of almost indeterminacy to it. Um, I mean, if anybody's seen some of the images that have been like sold at Christie's for huge sums, um, the, the portraits that were generated by a, a Paris collective, um, there's a kind of weird, uh, uncanny fuzziness to these things. Um, but it's interesting because that almost is like saying, well, yeah, there's a new artist. We, we, you can recognize a Picasso, a Matisse. I think people are beginning to be able to recognize, oh, I, I think that's an AI artist. So, so it's interesting that, you know, you're already seeing an almost an autonomous AI style uh, emerging, which people are able to recognize. And often what that involves is, is a high degree of complexity. And I think this is, it relates actually back to something you mentioned earlier, which is, um, uh, the relatability of AI art to, to human experience. And what I'm beginning to see happening is that uh, AI art, both kind of visual and music, for example, is starting to have a degree of complexity that we as embodied humans are finding quite hard to navigate. You know, the, the visuals is like almost too um, overwhelming. The, the music, the, the rhythms are, are, are too weird that I just cannot, here in some sense what's going on so i think th there's a weird future which is are we going to see ai creating art for other ai and not for humans that um the other ai is going to find yeah i love that music uh you know they're going to able to navigate it um and, and we humans going to get left behind because just our sensory equipment isn't up to it it's so interesting i i it, it reminds me of perhaps even the relationship between the artists and drugs 
you know, the amount of LSD that may have influenced Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Band. Um, oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you can turn up yeah. the kind of AI wild dial. <laughs> and it might have just been a little bit too much LSD on that track, Ringo. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's very interesting. There was, um, uh, I mentioned GPT-3, which is this text generation algorithm. And in fact, uh, an artist during lockdown called Kendrick, he used GPT-3 to basically write a book together. So they sort of, and it's a kind of stream of consciousness. What's really fascinating is that somehow they get hooked on talking about ayahuasca and and actually the the human is trying to get him to the the ai well i've already personified it called it him um the ai to sort of uh talk about you know the impact of ai on the and and the ai has absolutely got completely obsessed with the idea of ayahuasca i don't know what it read and, and it goes yeah okay yeah computers blah blah but i want to talk more about ayahuasca and you think this is crazy this is um, you know an unembodied ai that cannot experience the taking of ayahuasca it, it's just got like maybe it's that's the point it's just knows that it will never be able to take ayahuasca and and, and so is desperate to understand from the human perspective um the the, the joy of a drug to take you off in new directions I, I, it's so strange i mean i have to imagine that you know even when it does go a little bit too far and it's a little bit too beyond uh, what what we might appreciate the 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 fact is that you've said you know perhaps that can be an inspiration to AI in, in a circular way but perhaps that it can even be an inspiration to future artists like the unfortunate thing about some breakthrough artists you know I'm thinking about people like Stan Breckage who just do crazy things with film or you know um, perhaps there are avant-garde you know, painters and 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 music composers and things like that that you know the large majority of the uh, public don't consume, but that certainly influences the next generation of artists. I wonder whether there is going to be just yeah. a whole new, like you were saying, style and, and whether it circles back to the human again. Ah, oh, that's fascinating. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think, you, you know what, we have a future where we're going to have to engage with the emerging world of the AI. And so you know, we're going to need tools to understand the decision-making process of these things because it's impacting on us as a society. And and so I, I think that we have to create ways of dialoguing. And I, my belief is that creativity ultimately uh, was the tool that humans came up with to explore their own rather mysterious inner world. Um, you know, uh, I, I, something's going on inside me and I'm seeing the world in a particular way. I want to share that with you. And so I will perhaps paint a painting on a cave wall to, to show you my experiences and uh, are you, or I want to express the pain that I'm feeling. I want to understand if, if your pain is anything like my pain. So I think our creative output is our way of exploring this kind of, impenetrable in a world of the other. And I think going forward, we're starting to see AI having an inner world we don't understand. It's complexity of the code is, is just impenetrable. And so we're gonna to need tools to sort of, uh, to, to prompt that. And, and so I think we're going to see a really interesting kind of dialogue, which as you say, will will push us on as a species and offer us new perspectives. And you know that's what creativity is about. The AI may well see things in a way that that we've never experienced before, and and by showing us that will will expand our own uh, consciousness and creativity and a view of the world. Yeah, 
Well, there's an, an interesting dialogue to be had about, you know, the kind of um, third component of what creativity is that you brought up earlier, which was, which was value. And that, that can have, you know, that things can have objective value, but things can also have a subjective value. And that, um, that subjective value can be different for the creator as much as it can be for the perceiver, which is where the, I guess, quote unquote, value in AI art can be placed it doesn't necessarily mean that all ai art has objective value and certainly it it's precarious to talk about whether the ai finds value in creating the art in the first place but certainly the perceiver can find value in that art without it necessarily having to be um this human to human communication yeah no i think because it's interesting i mean objective value i think is is really challenging whether there is any objective value um and so i think in some sense all value is subjective and changes over time from uh region to region person to person but that's what's very interesting because machine learning is all about taking things that we value and understanding the things we don't value why do i value this poem uh, against this which seems to rhyme and be a string of words but somehow is not resonating for people um and i think we don't really understand this what what value is we don't quite understand and and the because value changes that's often you know a creative act is often not valued in its time it's almost rejected because it's too alien and yet will will gain value um, you know many decades later that's very interesting is the AI actually missing out by pandering to our very present uh, demands for something with value uh, and are, are there things that perhaps perhaps we're rejecting but uh, in, you know in future we'll say wow that thing that the AI produced we didn't understand why it was so valuable but there's mm -hmm. another really interesting point here which is value in monetary terms because <laughs> uh, you know that often it's well it often is sort of um, a mark of visual art is how much is somebody prepared to pay for it um and what's very interesting is a lot of people say hold on how come this AI uh, art is selling for so much um and another point that's often raised is you, you know i i don't like this ai stuff because for me what's important is i want to know a little bit about the author or the artist i want to know their history what's what's been their emotional journey to the moment when they created this van gogh's kind of um the traumas that he went through are an integral part of the story of the painting. But that's what's interesting because um, I think both the value of the paintings of AI and actually the interest in it is because of the author, the artist. Um, we're actually interested in this at this particular moment because this is the first kind of art generated by artificial intelligence. So we're actually, the, the art is gaining its value. If, if we didn't know it was created by an AI, it probably wouldn't sell for so much because it's not great visual art yet it's getting its value in Christie's by somebody going, wow, I would really like to have on my wall the first kind of example of AI generated art through machine learning. So it's, it's interesting that uh, somehow value at the moment, and that may pass because it's of a moment, the value is coming from the fact that it is generated by AI. Well, this is where I see um, a, a Hollywood level threat or danger, you know, I don't want to get too political. However, you could, you could imagine some kind of art factory, you know, if you, cause you can now automate art. What, how does that yeah. place the, the kind of economy of art? Um, interesting. Question. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I think that is. And I, I think, you know, that's one of the um, 
challenges to AI are that they feel like sometimes, well, you just press a button and the, the algorithm churns out thousands of paintings. And, and actually, of course, one of the roles of the artist is to, to reject things and to make choices, say, no, that isn't good enough. But we are starting to see AI, which is actually incorporating that into the algorithms. So I think one of the most exciting algorithms that is emerging in this kind of realm is something called a GAN, a generative adversarial network. And that's actually a lot of these images have been created using that. And in that is a component of an algorithm, which is a creator algorithm working against or in tandem with a discriminator algorithm. And, and I, I think that's what's interesting that that will perhaps uh, dampen down, you know, because the GAN will be uh, will making those choices. And so therefore will restrict the huge kind of onslaught of, of possibilities. But, you know, we, we've got it. We're in an interesting time in many ways, but, you know, for example, the NFT, the non-fungible tokens. Uh, so, you know, a lot of this is digital. So, uh, very interesting that we now seem to have a way of saying that somebody owns the original of a digital piece of art because of course somebody can have an absolute you know 100 copy absolutely you know, no downgrade of a digital piece of art um and yet one will own the original and one will own the copy um you know i have on my wall in the kitchen a, a wonderful replica of one of david hockney's uh paintings i think it's the the one that sold second most expensive painting by a living artist ever to be sold at auction. Um, you know, it's great. It's a beautiful reproduction. I get a lot of joy out of it, but it's not the original. You know, I can't afford the original. <laughs> but so it's very interesting, our relationship to the idea of the original in the digital world. That's going to be very, very interesting. And I think you're right. Uh, what if we just overwhelm ourselves with um, stuff so that we can't actually uh, cope with the onslaught of uh, new music, new literature. Um, so yeah, yeah, it's it's going to be challenging, sort of navigating the output. <laughs> it was a total win for, in some ways, record companies. The whole NFT moment, you know, it, by standard economics, you know, if you have an infinite supply of something, and you know, uh, uh, value yes. is demand over supply, an infinite supply means that the value was zero. So then they sell for amazing amounts of money. It's a, a, a very, very strange moment. But um, I, I've got to yeah, ask Marcus, yeah. just to finish up, is there anything that you wish I had asked you? <laughs> well, uh, maybe you should have asked whether am I really the true Marcus de Sotoy or whether, you know, maybe I've created a fantastic algorithm an avatar that is able to do podcasts for me because it's just learned all the things that I tend to say about artificial intelligence is I've given it the data and perhaps, you know, I'm just sitting in the garden here in London, uh, proving mathematical theorems, uh, whilst my avatar gets on with all the, the dirty work of podcasts. <laughs> that would be fantastic. I, I would just be able to automate myself and then just push out the content. That would be oh, fantastic. Yeah, maybe you're not real. Oh my gosh, I hadn't called it. Oh gosh, maybe this whole thing is artificial. <laughs> oh, well, Marcus, um, I, I've got to say, uh, I've got to say to our, it's been a pleasure to have you here. I've got to say to our audience, you know, of the 5,000 books that you're able to read in your lifetime, you should definitely be picking up the creativity code. And thank you for joining me. It's been an absolute pleasure. Yeah, it's been a fun conversation. Thanks. If you've been as stimulated by this conversation as we have, please find more of Marcus's work through the links in the episode description, or look out for his new book, Thinking Better, The Art of the Shortcut, later this year. 
We were fascinated by Marcus's knowledge, and he has been a prominent public intellectual for many intriguing topics. Thanks for listening to AI Agents. Please remember to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcatcher and consider giving it a review. Do not forget that you can share this episode with other intelligent people and things, but for now, it is time to close the pod bay doors, Hal.